Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Like Beyonce, both and in, my new friend Ron Knowles. And Ron, this is going to be awesome. We just got started chatting for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm already been in tears hearing some of your stories. Such a fascinating, amazing story from the heights and the depths. And we're going to go with both of them. Just welcome to the show. It's great to meet you today, Ron, and see you. Welcome. A pleasure. Pleasure is all mine, Matt. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so excited. I am excited to dive into this and our listeners can go and check the show notes and see all about your accomplishments and see a practicing attorney and everything that you've achieved and they can go to LinkedIn for that. What are three things about Mr. Ron Knowles that will give our audience an introduction into you? Oh, I love God, number one. Give glory to Him and His love. So number one. Number two, I have seven kids, six girls, one boy. Um, and it was it was not planned. So that's always the, did you plan? We just got blessed with seven kids. And the last but not least, I'm a convicted felon. I'm a convicted felon and I practice law through the grace of God. You know, there's not too many attorneys that have a criminal conviction and mine being on the federal level, then get your bar license right after being convicted for a felony. So those are three things about me. Holy cannoli. Okay. We teed it up and I think our audience is on the edge of their seat right now. Convicted felons, seven kids, love God. The convicted, all of those can have an asterisk. All of those got me on the edge of the seat. Let's go dive straight in. What's the hardest challenge that you've ever endured or overcome? Take us back and set the frame for us, please. And we're all ears, Ron. Hardest challenge was to wake up on July 17th, 2007 with the law enforcement at your door, letting you know that someone was trying to break into your home. And then you go to investigate what the cause or what's happening. And you walk right out to your front door and immediately you're just swarmed by um, federal agents, DEA, FBI. I Matt, there was even IRS agents that had guns. I didn't even know the IRS carried guns. That was the worst day in my life. I remember it like it was yesterday, 16 years ago. And we just had that anniversary on July 17th of this year. That's the lowest point in my life, sitting in the back of the police car, about to be carted away to the Bureau of Prisons in downtown Los Angeles for manufacturing, distributing, conspiracy, and maintaining an establishment from a legal medical marijuana dispensary in Corona, California. What? A legal dispensary and you open the door and the tragic nightmare of no one, this doesn't happen in real life. It now it is on your doorstep. Take us into that moment, please, of shock and just what happened at that moment when you opened the door. What did you see and feel here? 
first I was like, okay, I'm obviously a dispensary owner and someone's trying to break into my home. So I'm thinking that they probably thought I had a bunch of weed at my house or a bunch of cash because this was a cash-based business. So I'm scared my family. Back then it was three kids and the wife. Who's trying to break into my home? Get dressed, go downstairs. A lady officer said, can you come out and identify this individual? And knowing in my legal experience, that was a way to get me across the front door threshold to get outside of the home to satisfy the arrest warrant. And as soon as I crossed that threshold in my front door, get down, get down, get down, guns pointing at me. I'm shocked and frightened, like, you know, got these assault rifles all pointing at me and I'm being pushed and forced to the ground. And I'm sitting there thinking, Matt, I'm not the burglar. Why are you, what the heck is going on? And then I'm hearing helicopters and dogs, then hands being placed behind my back and I'm being patted down where they raise me to my feet. And the next thing I know, I just see like helicopters and all these cars swarming in on our block, just a whole bunch of police activity. And I'm still trying to figure out like, what the heck is going on? Am I, did they mistake me for the robber or something? And it wasn't until I was being led to the police car that the investigating officers, what's the code to the safe? And then I can hear over the radio, you know, we're at the facility, we were inside and it's a safe. And then it dawned on me, we're being raided by the feds. Wow. Man. You're hearing these things. You're in shock. You're in the back of a car. You're cuffed, I imagine. There are guns everywhere. Where is your wife and your kids? Can you see them? Can you hear them? What's what's happening there at this moment? I couldn't see my wife or my kids. They were in the home. My kids were sleeping. And Matt, this is one day after my third daughter's birthday. Her birthday is on July 16th. The kids had just returned the previous day from Waterworld out in San Pedro. I mean, imagine three little kids going to Waterworld in the middle of the summer and they're just deadbeat exhausted. So they're sound asleep. My wife was the one that nudged me to go to the door because she heard the police, you know, knocking. So she's like, Ronnie, there's a cops at the door. They're saying someone's trying to break in the home. I'm a little disoriented. I'm like, okay, let me put my slippers on and, and head downstairs. And it just happened so quickly, so fast that the next thing I know, I'm in the back of a squad car. I'm looking around and all these neighbors, Matt, that have never been outside before, because this is a totally quiet street. Everyone's walking their dogs and everyone's jogging. All these looky-loos just come out of nowhere. <laughs> um, but thank goodness, yeah. my next door neighbor, she somehow got close to the back of the police car. And she's like, Ronnie, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? And I was like, just, can you call my mom? Because I, I don't know if I'm going to see my wife. I don't know what's going on please just call my mom. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll call your mom. I sat in the back of the police car and then um, that's when another officer came up to me and said, well, what's the code to the safe in the house? Because we had a, a safe in the house as well. And I said, I recall as a medical cannabis patient, you're taught these things and how to interact with law enforcement. And I choose to remain silent, exercising my fifth amendment rights. And the cop was like, all right, we'll just break it then. You know, you just tear up your house even more than it is right now. And I'm like, goodness gracious, they're already tearing up the house. So I just gave them the code to the safe. And then that's when another one over the radio is talking about, well, we're at the dispensary and we need the code to the safe there. And I just gave them the code to the safe there. And then I'm hearing over the radio inside the car that they're raiding my employees and that they're being rounded up as well. 
all of this is going on. I'm just sitting in the backseat of the car. Like, I can't believe what is happening. This is just why I just sat there. And then after the raid was completed or they had to finish tearing up the home, there was two investigators that just started taking me to LA from Corona to LA. And that's about a couple hour drive. It's not short without traffic. You could probably get to Corona in LA if you're in fast track, maybe an hour, maybe 40 minutes to an hour. But when you're in, this was 6 a.m. in the morning. They say that the feds and law enforcement, they hit you by surprise early in the morning. So this was around six, five or six in the morning when they raided us after about maybe an hour or so, that's when they started driving me down to the Bureau of Prisons in downtown LA. They call it Twin Towers. Huh. Okay. Okay. So you're getting driven down there at the Twin Towers. You hear your house is, is getting torn up. Your business is getting torn up. Your employees are being dragged out of their homes as well. We can only assume you've got someone who's a friend, neighbor, calling your mom. So that's happening. And the whole world is upside down in utter chaos and confusion right now. You know, what was that ride like going from your home to the prison? What were you thinking? And just what was that experience? It was surreal because the DEA was actually like asking me questions like, well, you were you were surprised, huh? And I'm like, so, you know, how do I respond like, to that? Playfully you know, asking I'm you just, questions? <laughs> I mean, what? And a note to your listeners, you have the right to remain silent. So when you're in the squad car and the police are jabbering their jaws to you, just keep it quiet because all of that they can use against you, of course. So, but me, you know, I was 27 at the time. I knew my rights, knew the laws, but I didn't do anything wrong. So I felt free to talk. So it was, we scared you, huh? You didn't think we surprised you, huh? And I'm like, I didn't know how to respond to that. And then another was, what was all those jars in your office? You know, one of them said GOP, you know, a reference to the the grand old party. And I'm like, no, it was something that I wrote on the top of the jars. And, and it's actually a particular type of cannabis strain. And it's the acronym is GDP. But I guess my D on that label looked like an O. So he's like, what's the GOP? You know, and I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, in one of your drawers, you had a jar that said GOP on it. Is that some reference to the Republican Party? I'm like, no, that's actually a cannabis strain called Granddaddy Purple. My D maybe looks like an O, but that's a certain strain that helps people to have pain. If they're a cancer patient and they can't eat, that's a really good medicinal strain to alleviate those types of symptoms. And the DA was kind of looking at me like, you're just a street pharmacist. He didn't say that, Matt, but I could tell that they're trained for drugs and law enforcement. So there's no medicinal use whatsoever under the federal law. So the DEA during that time is like, there's no medicinal use whatsoever. You're just a drug dealer. You're just a street pharmacist. And that's the way we're going to treat you. And that's essentially how they treated me. It was just like, I was just some random drug dealer. And I felt as if it was more of that attitude and approach because me as a minority, I'm sure the DEA deals with a lot of drugs and minorities and they may have their preconceived notions. And so it was like, man, you're just another black guy that's slaying drugs. And we're just picking off another one. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, so take us to the jail. You get there, you get processed. What happens next? Do you get to call your attorney? I mean, are you just, what happens there? (laughs) So I get downtown to the Bureau of Prisons and I had to be processed and fingerprinted and, and what have you. And Matt, I was arrested 10 years prior 
in my teenage years, more of that in another book. But anyways, long story short, I'd been through the criminal justice system before. And so right when I got into the Bureau of Prisons and I'm fingerprinting and everything, there's just something that clicked in my head that let me know like that I have to behave or act in a certain way. I can't be this upstanding businessman in the Bureau of Prisons. And so Right when I walked in, you're hearing those clanky noises of metal against metal. You're in this environment where you're housed with other criminals. I couldn't say that, oh, I ran a medical marijuana dispensary and it was legal and that's why I was arrested. It was more or less like I was, you know, slanging pounds and, you know, they finally caught up with me, you know. So that way I don't have this aura of, oh, well, you're not a real criminal and you get treated differently in the prison system. Knowing the unwritten rules in a jail or, or prison environment, for example, that all races are separated. So I was labeled black. So I was housed with other black inmates. And that's how they control the racial segregation in the prison. And that was, okay, if I'm going to be housed with blacks in Los Angeles, most of them are gang members. I know they're going to ask me, are you blood or crip? And so all of this was just going through my head like, okay, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, Matt. Who knows? It was just something that I just had to like get into that mindset of being a black prisoner in downtown Los Angeles. And who knows how long I'm going to be here. So I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Wow. Okay. So you, wow. All of this, this is, this is very interesting. All the stuff that's going on in the mind when you're upstanding business, business owner running a legit business. And all of a sudden you're now in prison and you've got to morph into whoever you've got to morph into, to survive. At what point do you get a chance to talk to a lawyer or talk to your wife? Great questions. So once you get into the Bureau of Prisons, you're fingerprinted, what have you, and then they put you in a common cell until they process all the paperwork. Then you get housed in your bunk. And once I got housed in my bunk and I'm with my race, then I was allowed to make a phone call. Once I made a phone call, it was to my mom. And man, because I couldn't call the house because no one was answering when I called the house. And so I assumed, you know, of course, my wife must be gone. So I called my mom I was thankfully able to get in touch with her. She said, your wife was arrested. She was arrested for child endangerment. And they wouldn't let us take the grandkids because of something on my parents' DMV record that happened when they were teenagers. Way back when, you could get a driver's license when you were a teenager. And there was some error that was on my parents' driving record that kept them from getting their grandkids. That's another long story that once that was straightened out, then they were able to qualify to get the grandkids. But because of that, Matt, they were taken straight to Child Protective Services. And so my mom was like letting me know like what they were doing to try to get the kids and they couldn't. And then they were trying to figure out how to bail out my wife because she was being housed by the Corona Police Department for child endangerment. Then what they could do to try to bond me out because in the federal system, there is no bail. It's bond. And for your listeners, bond is you have to put up real estate property to be released from custody with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And that is not a short process where you can go to bail bondsman and he's like, give me some money and I'll put up the rest. Not on a federal bond. That's go and find a property that you own or your family member owns and have it appraised and then take that appraisal down to the federal clerk's office. And that appraisal amount has to be 
at or above the bond set by the United States judge, if you will. So my bond was 300 and I think it was $350,000. So thank goodness, because we couldn't use any of our properties, Matt, because they were being forfeited. We had what three, you... we had four homes and <sighs> the federal government said those homes can't be used for your bond because the funds were used from the cannabis business. And so they are going to be forfeited. So you can't use those properties, including our own home residence, which we bought well before the cannabis business was even open. So couldn't use any of our properties. So I, I asked my mom if she would put her property up for bond. She went and got it appraised, took it down to the federal courts clerk and um, was able to secure a bond to bond me out of the Bureau of Prisons. And, but that process, Matt, alone took, I want to say a little over two weeks. Yeah. And so it was, wow. okay, so now I got to sit here for two weeks and fake it till I make it. Cross my fingers. Yeah. So if we could stay in that moment before we come out of it and kind of go go forward, what was that first two weeks like waiting through all that? Just how did you survive? How did you make it in that time? Man. So I'll tell you a story and it's in the book and the listeners can get more details on it. There was news coverage about the raid. Fellow prisoners found out who I was. And one of the prisoners that was there at the time, let's just say he had some power struggles or some authority issues in prison. Because you know what? In prison, they can figure out real quick who's a punk, who's, I'll excuse my friend, but who's a bitch? And who are we going to take food from? Or who are we going to take commissary from? Or who's using phone privileges so much? Because phone privileges is currency in prison. So it's like, if you're on the phone, obviously you've got some money. So someone was watching me talking on the phone and there was news coverage. So my cellmate, we call him Selly in prison. He's like, oh, so-and-so knows who you really are. And he's going to call you out. He's got a problem with you. And he's going to call you out because he wants to up his rank in the prison amongst the blacks. Okay. Wow. Let's just say that there was a scuffle. Lucky we didn't get, I wasn't caught in in that scuffle by the Bureau of Prisons guards. They heard because it was in our cell when I got into the scuffle with this other prisoner. And let's just say I walked out of prison a week or so later, black eye and a few other scuff marks and what have you, but we survived. Oh, goodness. Wow. Okay. I mean, this is surreal to hear the story. It's surreal. I know you you said it was surreal living it. I mean, just to hear this, that you're running a legit business and everything is taken away. And I'm just shocked, still shocked to hear it. Let's move forward. What happens next? It's important to share today, Ron. What happens next was for me to really ground myself in my faith. And that was, God, why did this happen? Why? What am I supposed to do? I trust you. I love you. I believe you. But this does not make any sense. You're really, really questioning my trust and faith in you. And this was in prison when I was praying and God was like, no man can hurt you. You need to fear me, fear no man. And if you trust me and if you love me, I will guide you through this. That was to me an ultimate test of my faith and how much I trust God, how much I love God, how much I want to fight for my family, how much I wanted to fight for my freedom. And what else did I have to lose? So I said, you know what? I'm questioning you, God, because God allows us to question him. I said, this is a huge question, but you know what? I'm going to fight for my freedom. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my faith. Man, 
I would never, ever wish that circumstance away from happening because before we got on this recording, it refined me. It was that pruning that God does to you that makes you a completely different person or to change. You know, when people say, oh, I changed or God has made me a much better person, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you don't really understand the depths of those statements until you've gone through it yourself and actually experienced it. And then you're like, yeah, I changed because of that situation. I was refined because of that situation. I was pruned because of that situation. And thank God for that raid, because I wouldn't be here today as a practicing attorney without that. Guarantee, Matt. Guarantee. I probably wouldn't be married. I wouldn't have seven kids. Me and my wife would be divorced. I mean, there's so much shoulda, coulda, woulda that could have happened had that business thrived and survived. Who knows? I wouldn't be where I am today. You're saying that you're grateful for this hardest, most impossible, challenging scenario. There's gratitude in the hardest thing that you've ever had to endure and overcome. Wow. You know, they say God is the ultimate comedian. <laughs> when you when you look back on the whole situation, you're like, you're like Chris Rock. <laughs> that is hilarious. And in retrospect, you're like, how, why? And you just don't understand. But then when you get to the other side, as a refined person, as that pruned person, as the character that's built up, he puts you through man, the fire, the struggles and the strife to bring out the ultimate character and your ultimate purpose in life. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Wow. But without going any further, what's the name of your book and where do we get a copy of it? Because I'm going to go and get one right now. What's the name of it? Where do we find it? Compassion, Consequences, and Criminal Perseverance. Your listeners can get a free copy. They can download a free copy today if they go to ronnalls.com forward slash book. They can download a free copy. Otherwise, it's on Amazon. You can pick up your copy there as well. Wow. Ron Nalls. In a Ron R-O-N-N-A-U-L-L-S. Ron Nalls. Yes. Nancy Apple Umbrella Larry Larry Sam dot com forward slash book. And where does that title come from? Because there's a reason behind that title. Well, compassion, Matt, comes from the Compassionate Use Act, the law that was passed in 1996 in California, which is the main driver around legalization today. Without the Compassionate Use Act, we would not have a cannabis industry. Mind you, the term marijuana is the slang word for cannabis. So I'm trying to cut that word out of my vocabulary and use the scientific, the real word cannabis. We would not have the industry where it is today without the Compassionate Use Act of 1996. So it's imperative that I include the word compassion in this book. Consequences come from opening a dispensary, being compassionate and trying to provide medical cannabis to patients and the consequences that came because of that. And then the criminal perseverance, persevering as a criminal for my family, for my freedom. And wow, what happens when you buckle down and you just persevere as a criminal? And it's important that I say as a criminal because everyone always looks down on the criminal. Everyone always looks down on like you're the bad person. They don't realize there's a ton of people that used to be criminals that changed their lives around completely. 
that's one aspect that I want to call out, especially for minority folks. Don't have your labels define you. Have your labels refine you. Mm. That's amazing. Thank you. Somewhere on this journey and this conversation, it's still, it's shocking (laughs) to hear this. And I'm on Amazon. I just ordered the book right now. It's going to be here on Saturday. So this is amazing to to get a copy of this book. And Ron just said, if you didn't hear it, listeners, go to ronnolls.com and get a copy of the book, an e-copy of the book. So you can get it now and start reading it now. Let me throw in that slash book because I don't want to go to Ron Nall's like, where's where's the book? Where's the book? So slash book. (laughs) (laughs) Slash book. I mean, this is the kind of book I feel I'm going to get into it and devour it in like one or two sittings max. This is fascinating. This is like a nightmare. Like what? Because it's it's legal. You have a legal license and you run a legal dispensary. And then all of this stuff. I mean, somewhere there's a state and there's a federal clash, but you're not seeing that. You're a human. And all the human families that work with you are getting hit with this. I cannot wait to read about this in the book. Let's leave some of that for the audience in the book. And let's move forward to right now. What is it that's your purpose, your mission now, and that keeps you going and excites you right now, Ron? Wow. My purpose, my mission is to have this industry, for one, that this plant helps so many people from a medical standpoint, that we've been conditioned so long by our own government that you're bad and this plant has no medical benefits whatsoever. And yet there's maybe countless references and information available that completely despises the notion that there's no medical benefits of cannabis. So that's first and foremost for cancer patients, for folks that have Crohn's disease, depression, mental health, the U.S. veterans that speak highly of the use of cannabis from PTSD. And so that to me is to change the mindset that we've been conditioned that this is bad, it's a drug, there's no medical use whatsoever to help folks be educated about the real benefits of cannabis, first and foremost. Second, that this is not an industry that folks can just get in and do a cash grab, if you will, and exploit this plant. So as an attorney, me, my purpose and mission is to ensure that this plant is not exploited, whether it be businesses, the black market, and just ensuring that this plant is available to the masses and a framework that allows it to be distributed legally, because that is going to impact globally, which is already happening today. To bring it from the underground, bring it from the recesses of folks and the criminality that's been attached to it for so long. And like alcohol, to me, this is like prohibition repeating itself over and over again, where we were so conditioned against alcohol and it was outlawed. And then one day the switch was flipped and alcohol became legal. It became a viable business. And and now it's a thriving industry. So the same for cannabis, but to make sure that it's not exploited and, and that it reaches that plateau as a legitimate, useful plant that leads to other explorations and understandings and other plant medicines that we don't have any source of research about. For example, like mushrooms, there's so much research now going into psychedelics and psilocybin, which is mushrooms, states that have legalized mushrooms right now because of the medicinal benefits. And so that is just opening the door for 
like-minded individuals to really know what is being told to us and actually going out and getting the real information, the real research, and actually being able to contribute. Because there's so many people that contribute, but their mindset and how their fashion and what they've been conditioned, they completely turn off. And so my hope is to turn them on. Yeah. What's fascinating about all this, amongst other things, is I don't know if there's a single study. Show me a study in the world somewhere where there's actually positive benefits to alcohol. Where is that? This drink a glass of wine a day is good for your heart. There are a number of studies that refute that BS. So so tell me where there's good in alcohol and where there's actual negative on all these things, the Crohn's and the cancer patients. I'm with you on this. and I'm an advocate for what you're talking about as well. And everything you've shared, I've, I've agreed with. And not even understood the first part, and I'm still baffled that this could happen. And now, so I'd love to go on this as much as we can talk about it. I'm sure it's in the book. Convicted felon. Point number three, we started. Convicted felon. And you're an attorney. How do you become an attorney when you're a convicted felon? And by the way, I I know that may say convicted felon on paper. I still am having trouble understanding how you've done anything wrong. And calling you a criminal, I don't even think, that doesn't even make sense to me to call you a criminal. But tell me how a convicted felon got his law license. How did that even happen? (laughs) Great question, Matt. So one of the things that I'm so blessed about is the people that I had around me during that time. There was so much temptation, Matt, because this was a criminal element and you're dealing with individuals that don't see the benefits, they see the profits. And so there was so much temptation in this business, cash-based business. But man, my faith, I give glory to him in that I put people around me that could help build me up and trust and relationships. That, Matt, is the number one thing, the reason why I'm an attorney today, because we were compliant. We followed the laws. We did not subvert the state laws. When it came to tracking cannabis, we tracked cannabis. When it came to ensuring that we weren't distributing to the black market, we were checking everyone's recommendation and making sure that they were referred by a doctor and that their recommendations didn't expire. We not only dotted the J's and crossed the T's, we dotted the I's as well. And because of that, the conviction that I got was for filing a false tax return. Under IRS section 280E, it says that you cannot take a business deduction for anything that's illegal under the Controlled Substances Act, which is our federal law, war on drugs. I'm sure you all heard of that. And cannabis is a schedule one drug, no medicinal benefits whatsoever. Now, we had professional CPAs that did our taxes, but the IRS They have volumes of code that can line a 20-story skyscraper. Easy. So, (laughs) (laughs) in essence, these IRS agents, they found something that we took a business deduction on that we weren't supposed to under IRS Section 280E. And here was the kicker. We'll dismiss the four charges that we're charging you with, which each charge was 10 years, Matt, distribution, manufacturing, maintaining an establishment and conspiracy, 10 years each, 40 years. If you plead to filing a false tax return, it's a felony and you'll get a huge fine and a house arrest. 
I was in law school at the time and me and my wife had a discussion of if I do this, I could never be an attorney. I can never become a lawyer because under the state bar, moral character, moral turpitude, they scrutinize that heavily. And filing a false tax return hits in the essence of moral turpitude. So I prayed to God and I'm like, you know what? You got me this far and I may never be an attorney. But I want to be with my family. I want to be free. I don't want to fight the federal government for a law because you can't bring into court, by the way, Matt, that you were state sanctioned, you were legal, all of that. The federal government put in a motion to suppress all of that evidence because you can't bring, yes, you can't bring that as evidence in a trial. So I was guaranteed to lose, Matt, against the federal government. They pretty much said you can't bring up state law at all. We've already got a motion and you, there's no jury nullification. So you can't be like, hey, jury, what do you think about cannabis? And if you're, you know, oh, I tried every single angle. And there's still people serving time in federal prison for cannabis today. So I bit the bullet. I said, I want to be with my family. I want to see my kids graduate. I want to go to their softball games. I want to go to their cheerleading. I want to be there for my wife and kids. And if I got to take a criminal conviction to do it, so be it, because I can't beat them if I go to trial. And so I signed the letter for the plea agreement in 2010, Matt, and I was a convicted felon. They put the ankle bracelet on me for six months, and I was a convicted felon at that point. And then fast forward to 2019, I had already graduated from law school in 2014. I passed the bar exam in 2016. I didn't plan on applying for my law license because like, why? Why waste time? But it was my oldest daughter. She's like, Dad, no one would pass up the circumstance and situation that you're in. And you always taught us to never give up when we start something. I'm like, oh, man, these dang kids, they watch you and they <laughs> eat up every single thing that you say. So I'm like, OK, you know what? Let me go ahead and apply for my law license. The first time that I went for my law license in 2016, this was before cannabis was legal in the state of California for adult and recreation use. I go up in front of the moral character hearing and it's, how could you do that to your family? How could you put your family at such risk? Another moral character attorney, you sold dope. You thought you can give it away with it. So it was total. But you can't, you can't say that I had a legal dispensary at this moment. You cannot say that. I didn't want to push the folks that were making the decision on whether or not I can get a law license, Matt. These are attorneys and they already had their mind made up. And so I wasn't going to make them even more think like, oh, no, you're definitely not getting your license. If you're going to sit up here and try to defend yourself, do you know what decision we have here in front of us? Whether or not you can become a lawyer. So I took all of the assaults and the persecution and you're wrong. And I left that meeting that and I was crying my eyes out. I never felt so much. I felt like shit. I'm like, why did you make me come here, Lord? Why did you put me in this situation? Why did you make me go up there in front of all those people and just get ridiculed? And he said, because I have a purpose for you. I said, you know what? I don't know what the purpose is, but I'm not feeling it so far. Two years later, cannabis is legal in the state of California. Prop 64. Overwhelmingly passes. I'm due for another hearing because I reapplied for my license after they denied me the first time. I go up a second time, Matt. The same person that interviewed me two years ago says to me when I walk in, oh, you kind of look like my grandson. And I'm looking and I'm like, you don't, you don't remember what you said to me two years ago, huh? I didn't say that, but I'm thinking in my mind, like, 
he, he must, he had to remember me because they have my whole file. I know they looked at it from two years ago when they had a discussion with me on my moral character. Another attorney, a moral character attorney says, so what are you going to do when you get your law license? And I'm sitting there in the chair like, did she just say when I get my law license? I can't believe what I just heard. Like, Matt, that to me was God saying, yeah, you're getting your license. And it was, we need more people like you on the bar. You followed the law. You did everything you were supposed to do and as an advocate. And I was just amazed at the complete 360 that had occurred in that room. And I don't know if it was because of the overwhelming vote for Prop 64 and the legalization of adult recreation cannabis, because medical cannabis is legal in the state for decades. So I don't know if it was the difference in opinion, but man, I got my law license because I, from day one, followed the law. I did not succumb to venality and temptation. Man, I give him glory for all of that, Matt, because it was all there. It was all there. And had I had one slip in my character and you know what, man, who's going to know or everyone else is doing it, that would have destroyed my future ability to get a law license. Wow. You grinned and you bared it humbly. Wow. You let your ego go way down and you didn't even touch it. You just left yourself in your faith and you did what you had to. And now, wow, that's such an amazing story. Before we even finish our discussion today, we're going to come back and we're going to have another discussion. We're going to have you on the show again, and we're going to talk about this again. because This is such an amazing story, Ron. I hate to cut it short. And at the same time, there's so much more to share. And we're going to give our listeners something great the next time we do this, too. I didn't even get to. It sounds like, if I'm reading the numbers correctly, that you were in the prison or the system for more than two years from July 17, 2007 until 2010. I can't even imagine it. Just one question here. When did you get the chance to see your wife, your kids, and how did your relationship in that time, can you give us a glimpse yes. so, <laughs> of that time, please? I was bonded out wow. once my mom's house was appraised. So I was able to get bonded out. And me and my wife were about to get a divorce. She was like, our kids are gone because of you. Matt, we went to family law court. Our kids had their own attorney. My wife had an attorney and I'm in the family law court and I'm sitting there before the hearing. I'm like, man, I'm about to go to prison and my kids are in CPS. We're about to get a divorce. So you know what? Like, man, I just give up. I just completely give up. And so we went into the family law court. We were sworn in. And the first thing the judge says is, hey, you know what? The family law judge, you know, I don't see any reason to keep these kids in child protective services if this was a legal marijuana dispensary. I did a Finally, double reason, logic, <laughs> finally. What? <laughs> and the social worker was like, well, drugs and the kids and da-da-da. And the family law judge was like, but it was legal, you know, and there was no other child protective services calls to the house. We were good parents. We were doing a business. So give me one reason why I should keep these kids in, you know, in protective services as opposed to them going home to their parents. And social worker couldn't. 
Matt. She she couldn't say like I was a convicted felon because I wasn't convicted by that time. I was still going through the federal you know system, the criminal justice system. So I wasn't convicted by then. Did everything as upsetting citizen up until that point with the business, you know, raising our kids and what have you. And yeah, we weren't the parents that Child Protective Services was coming into a week before or the month prior. Like they have a long list of calls to Child Protective Services. No, Your Honor, we never, not even a police called to our house. And he released our kids back to us after being in Child Protective Services. I want to say they were with Child Protective Services for a little over a month. That is a record. Normally, you do not get your kids back for at least a year once they're in CPS custody. And that one event, Matt, was pivotal for me and my wife's marriage to grow and repair and just continue as a family unit from that one court hearing. Goodness. Okay. So listeners, you know how to get a copy of the book, ronnolls.com slash book. You can get the free e-copy now, or if you don't want to do the e-copy, you want to get the hard copy, which I just got on Amazon, go to Amazon and get that yourself right now. Or if you have the patience, just message me and I will buy and send a copy to the first 50 listeners that message me because this story has to be shared. It has to be known. This is amazing. Thank you for sharing this. I don't want to stop. And I feel that it's time for us to go to the wrap up lightning round. So ding, ding, ding. Okay, Ron, we're going to do a very, very gentle segue or abrupt segue to the lightning round. So to start things, when you hear the term eternal optimist, what does eternal optimist mean to you? That means beyond my living presence here on earth. If I'm the model of an optimist, now I look at any situation and I don't look at the bad things or I don't look at, oh, woe is me. I look at what's the opportunity here? What's the learning thing here? That knowledge is eternal, Matt, because it's passed on to other generations because of me as an example of me being a light. So that to me is an eternal optimist, not just an optimist with me and myself or being selfish to be eternal optimist. It's what values, what character, what light are you shining and reverberating to those around you so that they can be optimists so that when you're long gone, you're the eternal optimist. Absolutely fantastic answer. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to if there is a book or maybe two that have inspired or influenced or served you in some way in your life that you'd like to share, what might be one or two books that you can recommend to us? Rick Warren's A Purpose Driven Life and Confessions of a Prayer Slacker. I don't recall the author's name, but that book was phenomenal. And I'm slapping myself so hard because had you primed me with this question beforehand, I would have the author's name. But Confessions of a Prayer Slacker was what helped me like, okay, here's another person that I can identify with because I wasn't really praying every day and always trying to raise my spiritual level, if you were, or my spiritual game. And that book, whoo, and then The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren, man. It just gets to the essence of why we're here. And when you're going through that struggle and strife, man, the purpose-driven life was that light through that darkness journey that I was going through. So Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Confessions of a Prayer, Slacker, and Purpose-Driven Life. Thank you for that. Let's go to music. If there is a song or a type of music that inspires you or just fills your cup, what might be your song or your music, Ron? I love hip-hop. I'm a big hip-hop fan. 
Jay-Z, put me where on God's green earth, I triple my worth. I can sell water to a whale. Like when you think of things like that, you're just like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a former, well, former, I still like as an athlete, just work out and stay fit. But man, to me, hip hop music is so invigorating. It's like individuals that came from the gutter and from nothing and just was able to spread their light and their word on their situations. And for me to be able to easily relate and either, man, be that go-getter to not conform to the patterns of this world. Because that's, to me, is hip hop is so different and out there. That's what we need a little dose of in our life is just something different, not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. So that to me is, I can't name a particular song because I love just all types of hip hop music. But when I'm working out, or when I'm needing that boost of confidence, and I need to stick my chest up high, man, any good hip hop song will, will definitely put me in that zone. Awesome, awesome. Last would be this, it would be, where do we find out more about you? We've got your website, ronnalls.com. Is there a social media outlet that we can connect with you, learn from you, just be there? I'm on Instagram, ronnalls. I'm on Facebook, ronnalls. The beauty of my name is there's not too many people that have that last name. Nalls like Beyonce, but with an N. So I'm on Twitter or X, but not as often. Ron Nalls as well, but I'm definitely active on Instagram. Ron Nalls, definitely active on Facebook, at Ron Nalls. I'd love to hear from folks. I try to comment, reply all the time because, man, I just love to engage with others that are like me, just going on that path and that journey and just need to raise up their game. Excellent. Excellent. This has been amazing. Absolutely amazing. And a little extra question in here. I'm looking at it now on your Instagram account, and there's the website of your law firm. It's got nalslegalgroup.com. Yes. Yeah. Is that yours? Yep, that is yes. us. Who might be the person that you serve or the clientele that would come to you and might want your services? Corporate clients. I've been in corporate for over two decades as information technology professional, as a consultant, and as an attorney. And you can see, because of my background and being raided by the feds, being in corporate compliance, is that is, to me, is my bread and butter. But when it comes to cannabis in the cannabis industry, that's definitely my niche. But corporate compliance, if any of your listeners need help with their business, I've helped businesses that had to report to the Securities Exchange Commission. I've had businesses that had to report on cybersecurity incidents and had to do free credit monitoring for affected individuals. We do it all when it comes to corporate compliance. Fantastic. Fantastic. Ron, man, this has been edge of my seat. I cannot believe that time has flown by so rapidly. And I've had a number of tears that have been present and I appreciate and love you for everything you shared and for having to go through everything so you could be on this side of the equation, this side of the bars, literally in a number of ways, to be able to share this story. And you really took the situation that was out of your control and you made the most of it and are serving people in a great way. And I just I want to honor you for that. Just thanks so much for being a guest on our show today, Ron. Thank you. An honor, Matt. This to me was, man, a blessing to be on this show. So thank you. Thank you.